Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Word, go me to Proverbs 14. Angelo's wife Cheryl betrayed his trust by getting into a compromising situation with another man. She had repeatedly and tearfully confessed to him and, and, and asked for his forgiveness, but each time she tried, Angelo called her a whore and threatened to divorce her. And it was over, he told her. Grace. Different scenario. Gets upset when her husband Raleigh seems to ignore her when she tries to address the problems in their marriage. About once a week, she flies into a rage, often cussing, sometimes hitting him. Recently, she threw a large vase down the stairs. Raleigh's concerned for his own safety and that of his children, and the neighbors have called the police more than once. The next day, Grace is usually remorseful, but Raleigh's considering taking the children and moving out of the home. And Grace feels helpless against her rage. Jane. Jane has been married to Peter for over 25 years. Peter is domineering. He micromanages his, his wife's life and, and that of their children until they reach adulthood and they escape. Peter is constantly grumpy, yelling at the traffic, shouting at the politicians on TV, and complaining about the church leaders who never realized his great potential and kept him on the sidelines. Jane has outwardly displayed and played the role of the quiet, submissive wife, rarely arguing or retaliating, but inwardly she is full of bitterness. Finally, she realizes that she will never please this man and decides that she can't stand living this way. So, while Peter's at work, she packs up, she leaves. Peter returns home to an empty house, not even having a clue of why his wife is gone. Final scenario, just to, just to throw out a few scenarios here. Bob. Bob is the successful Christian businessman who is glad to employ many believers in his company. He, he uses his, his, a substantial portion of his profits to support Christian ministries. But in his drive for success, he often publicly berates workers who don't meet his expectations. His Christian employees, they're shocked by his behavior, but no one has the guts to confront him. They've also noticed that Bob seems to change churches every few years. As I read those four or five scenarios, ever how many they were there, do any of those sound familiar? Do you know people that that kind of represented, or was it some of you? Those scenarios help us to understand how widespread Issues with anger are, and the variety with which they manifest themselves, right? Anger comes in many different packages. But one thing that is common is that it's everywhere, right? We see it in the workplace, we see it in the streets, we see it on the roads, we see it in our schools, we see it in our homes. Man, it, it's everywhere, it's ubiquitous. And because of anger, many people find themselves chained up. You guys ever been in a tornado before? Or you've seen the destruction of a tornado? What, what, what is left behind when a tornado comes through a city? Carnage, right? 
we, we went down to uh, after Hurricane Katrina and just to see all the damage that was left by that storm. Of course, that's a hurricane, not a tornado. But nevertheless, a violent storm leaves wreckage behind. And like a tornado or like a hurricane, anger does the same thing in the life of a person. I mean, relationships are broken, twisted, torn, trust ruined. Uh, people are, 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 are emotionally wounded, sometimes physically wounded. The angry person, they can find themselves or himself, herself, in, in, in isolation. But I want you to understand tonight that it doesn't have to be this way. You see, like dynamite, anger is like dynamite, okay? Dynamite's powerful, isn't it? It's very powerful. It can be used to destroy buildings and bridges, lots of other things. You should go online and watch pretty recently the, the, the destruction of the Lifeway building in downtown Nashville. That was a recent thing, of course, as Southern Baptists, you know, we owned that Lifeway building. And uh, recently it was uh, completely raised um, by, uh, by, by explosives. So you ought to go check that out. And so it, it's, it's incredibly destroying, but it can also be productive if it's used properly. Dynamite can be. How many of you have ever been to Mount Rushmore? Anybody ever been there before? Yeah. You've at least seen it on postcards or on TV. I went there in 2006, and I thought it would be cool. I thought it would be kind of cool. Like there were cooler things we were going to, I thought. But when we got there, I, I, it was just amazing to me the emotional experience that I had when I looked out over that monument there and just the beauty and the grandeur of all of it. But check this out. This is pretty cool. Did you know that 90% of Mount Rushmore was carved by using precise and controlled blasts of dynamite? So dynamite can be good, right? It can do beautiful things. So tonight, as we, as, we, as we talk about anger, and that's where we're going tonight, as we talk about anger, we are not trying tonight to get rid of our anger. Anger, as we're going to see in a moment, is actually a God-given gift in one sense. So anger isn't going to go away. Our test tonight drives us to a different task. Proverbs 14.29 is our passage, so you're in Proverbs 14. Look at verse 29. And let's see what it says. Proverbs 14, 29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. So here's tonight's task. Our task is to not get rid of anger, but our task is to restrain it and to refocus it. So tonight's task is how do I restrain and refocus my anger. We're in a series called Chain Breaker, okay? This series tonight, a biblical counseling series, if you will. And my prayer is as we learn how to restrain and refocus our anger, we'll break those chains. God will break the chains that anger wraps us up in often because we often handle it in a sinful way. So tonight I'm going to give you five actions to help you and me to restrain and refocus our anger. The first one is this. You need to understand where anger comes from. Understand where anger comes from. Now, maybe your children or maybe even you have been throwing a fit and you say something like this. Oh, you're acting just like your daddy, right? We say things like that, right? Especially if you're the mama, you tell the boy or the girl, oh, you're acting just like your daddy. Well, you know what? When someone tells you that, that, that's actually more true than you know. You see, Scripture says that you and I are made 
in the image of God. We bear the Imago Dei in Latin, the, the image of God. And anger is actually one of the ways that we reflect that image. So let me pass out a couple passages of Scripture here real quick. Who, who would read for us tonight Psalm 2, verse 4 and 5? Who would read that? Thank you. Who would read, uh, yep, Psalm 2, verse 4 and 5. Who would read Psalm 7, 11? Psalm 7, 11, just like the story. Thank you. Who would read Habakkuk 3.12 or Habakkuk, whichever one you want to say there. Habakkuk, Habakkuk uh, 3.12. Habakkuk 3.12. Who said that? All right, thank you. And then finally, you want to take Deuteronomy 9, 7 and 8. What I want you to see here is God's character here. God's character. So let's hear these passages of Scripture read. Psalm 2, verse 4 and 5 says what? The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. So right there, you heard it. He's speaking in his anger or his wrath or his fury. How about Psalm 711? Yeah, executes justice, or other translations will say who feels indignation every day. Not just every now and then, but every day. How about Habakkuk 3.12? That'll do us right there. Thank you. So again, no, it's perfect. Thank you. That was great. So guys, think about it. Again, he marched through the earth in fury. He threshed the nations with anger and all the other descriptions there. And then finally, Deuteronomy 7 and 8, Deuteronomy 9, verse 7 and 8, God is speaking to Israel here. Guys, we could, we could go on and on with, right, with many, many, many examples from this. But Scripture is clear that anger is indeed an attribute of God. And so anger in humans, it, it's an emotion that has its origin in the character of God. Anger is an emotional and a physical response to something that is judged to be wrong. That's where our anger comes from, right? We see something wrong and it comes up, right? So anger arises out of judgment. And it's not just emotional. 
It's physical too. Think about that for a moment. What happens to your body when you get angry? Your, your face turns red. What else? You shake. Blood pressure elevates. Heart races. Adrenaline. That's right. You get an injection of all those good... Is that a horm- is it adrenaline a hormone? What is that? Anyway, the adrenaline juice. What else happens? Your thoughts race. You get that look. That's right. That's right. That's right. Think about this for just a moment, guys. What happens to your body when you get angry? The Hebrew word, the Hebrew word for anger or wrath is af. Off, which literally means nostril or nose. It literally means that, right? And so when you get angry, you get all nosed up, right? It curls up and flares and you're, you know, just like that bull, you know, getting so angry and breathing deeply and all those things. And so, so literally, I mean, it's, it's a word picture in the Hebrew for the physical reaction that's going on in your body when you get Angry. It's a full body experience as you rise in judgment. Yeah. See you tomorrow. I thought it was a hormone. Good. <laughs> we need it, right? It's that fight or flight juice. Uh, you know, our body pumps in. Good. I, I feel better about my biology teachers now. So. <laughs> <laughs> so when you get angry, you are actually, in one sense, reflecting the glory of God. Now this may be a total different way of looking at it than you've ever looked at it. When you get angry, you are actually reflecting the glory of God, or at least you're supposed to. So if we're going to restrain and refocus our anger, we have to understand where anger comes from. It's not something that we should necessarily get rid of. It's something that reflects the image of God and needs to be restrained and refocused. So second tonight, how are we going to do that? How are we going to refocus? How are we going to restrain and refocus? Well, second, we need to to differentiate between righteous anger and sinful anger. So yeah, anger has a truth in the image of God, but unfortunately the image of God in us has been terribly marred, hasn't it? Terribly marred by, 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 by the sin of fallen humanity. Scripture tells us that, that sin, is, it, it's tainted our body, it's tainted our heart and mind, therefore our emotions, right? Our emotions don't work right. If anger arises from judgment, our mind doesn't always work right either, right? We don't always see things the way they actually are. And so oftentimes we judge wrongly. Our anger rises from bad judgment sometimes. You and I are born completely tainted by sin. This is what we call in theology, we call it total depravity. Now that doesn't mean that you're as sinful as you could be. It means that the totality of our human existence is cursed by sin. There's not a part of your being and my being that sin is not corrupted. And that includes your anger. So while angry, uh, so while anger can be righteous, it can also be very sinful. And you've probably expressed both in your life, righteous anger and sinful anger. So it's important for us to differentiate between the two. For instance, Ephesians 4.26 is a really a beautiful illustration of the differentiation here. Where God says through Paul to us, 
be angry, but do not sin. Again, that may be a category shift for you, a paradigm shift. You've never thought about anger in that way, right? That anger can be righteous. But again, if God is angry and if Jesus Christ, you, you know, he's turning over money changer tables and things like that, that was an act of righteous anger, an expression of righteous anger. Even this past week when he's saying in, in, the, in the message there in Matthew 23, you hypocrites, that was righteous indignation that was rising up in him. And if Jesus did that, then that, by the very definition of who Jesus is as one not able to sin, then we have to understand that there is a category of anger that is not sinful. So that means we have to understand and differentiate between the two. So what is righteous anger? How would you guys, how would you all define righteous anger? What would you say? What is righteous anger? Yeah, absolutely. That'd be a good example of righteous anger. So it's 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 anger or indignation for holy reasons, right? It's it's the kind of anger that's consumed with the desire for righteousness or with God or for God's will or his reputation or his honor. It's the kind of anger that we should feel when we see somebody being mistreated. You know, This is one of the areas where um, you, can, you can see the callousness of the human heart because we get way more nosed up, right, angered up over the mistreatment of animals than we do the mistreatment of human beings. It's just one of the, one of the clear examples of the callousness of the human heart, okay, how sin has taken its toll. But when we see someone mistreated, Another human being being mistreated, made fun of, ridiculed, whatever you want to say there, racism, sexism, xenophobia, whatever word you want to use there, okay? I mean, all those isms, okay? It should cause us to be angry, and that's a righteous anger. It's the kind of anger that we should feel when we've been lied to. You don't smile when someone lies to you. I mean, that's deranged. It's the kind of anger that we feel when God's name is blasphemed. When you hear somebody take God's name in vain, that, that sick feeling that's in your stomach when you hear people put together God's name in a cuss word. It's the kind of anger we should feel when somebody is trying to romantically draw away our spouse. So that's righteous anger. It, it, it's aimed at righteousness and God's reputation. But not only is righteous anger for holy reasons, it's also expressed in holy ways. So think about this for just a moment. A man can be righteously angry. Shannon brought up abortion a moment ago. So a man may be righteously angry when he, see, angry when he sees a broken mother leaving an abortion clinic where she has just invited medical personnel to murder her baby. A, a man can have righteous indignation for that. But that righteous anger moves into sinful anger if that man then takes that anger and blows up the abortion clinic. That is righteous anger that just got stolen into unrighteous anger, got twisted 
into unrighteous anger. Or, or, or a wife may be righteously angry when another woman tries to lure her husband away, but that righteous anger becomes sinful anger if that wife then pulls out the 38 special and kills the woman. So righteous anger, angry, uh, righteous anger must be for righteous reasons and it must be expressed in a righteous way. But sinful anger, what is that? Well, sinful anger is indignation for unholy reasons. It's selfish. It's worried about, uh, it's worried about my personal reputation, my personal honor. It, it arises um, out of sinful judgments and inflated egos. It stems from thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. This morning, man... One of the reasons why I love having a house full of boys is that they love to wrestle, okay? And so this morning, my Samuel, he is a blast, okay? This morning, Chrissy and I were trying to have a serious conversation. We were laying there. We were uh, just laying there, you know, talking. We'd already been up and got stuff, a few things going. We, the kids were still there. You know, boys were still in the bed there. And so we, we kind of sat down there and we're talking. Next thing I know, I mean, Samuel comes off the top rope with an elbow, man. Just, wow! And we get to wrestle around a little bit, and then we're playing around, and I just kind of reach up and smack his jaw just a little bit, play, and he goes, how dare you? <laughs> and then he goes, take that, boom, you know, and all this stuff. But that's sort of that reaction oftentimes, right, that is kind of that inflated ego. How dare you treat me like that? You do not know who I am? But not only is unrighteous anger or sinful anger motivated by unholy reasons. It's expressed in unholy ways. And so we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. What, what does that look like? Because we have to be able to discern and distinguish between righteous and sinful anger if we're going to restrain and refocus our anger. Third, how are you going to do that? Third, we need to recognize how sinful anger is typically displayed. How sinful anger is typically displayed. Now, we're going to talk about two big, broad categories here. We'll get more specific as we talk, okay? But when we think in big, broad categories, we see that there are really only two ways sinful anger is typically displayed. Why don't you check out this diagram here? Hopefully you can see it. Yeah, it worked out pretty good. It turned out pretty good. So that's a diagram from Dr. J. Adams, who's considered to be like the father of biblical counseling. And this illustration here is from a, a little pamphlet called What Do You Do When Anger Gets the Upper Hand? And I want you to notice... That when the problem comes into a person's life, anger arises, and oftentimes it goes in one of two directions. And both of those are sinful manifestations of anger. To the left, what do you see? What are they doing? They're blowing up. They're blowing up. They're erupting. There's ventilation, right? Just picture, you can see the, the volcano there. Just picture that volcano spewing destruction all over the place, man. So what are the typical ways that people express themselves when they blow up? How, what do they do? They what? Fight, yell, hit, invade your space, you get all up in your grill. I'm not asking you to uh, confess here. I'm just saying what other people do, not what you do. Come on. Y'all got real quiet all of a sudden. It's like, mm, I ain't going to tell what I do. Well, I used to do that. Okay. All right, Janet says he used to do that. I did for about three years. Okay. Say things that don't mean. Say things you don't mean. Yeah, we do, don't we? A friend of mine. A friend. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Right. 
We holler, scream, we slam doors. Ooh, that really gets them, right? You say that last word and you walk out and you slam that door. Oh, that just really gets them, right? Tell people off, you chew them up, spit them out, slice them, dice them, and serve them on a platter. Attack people verbally, attack people physically. But you know what? Some folks go the other way, right? Instead of going to the blow-up stage or the blow-up manifestation, they go to the clam-up, the internalization. Now here, here's what, I want to, here's what I want you to picture. I want you to picture a volcano again. But I want, to, I want you to picture one like what the experts say is under Yellowstone National Park. Right? It's that super volcano. Did y'all know that the experts say, and I, I believe them, that there is a super volcano underneath Yellowstone National Park and that if it blows up, it says it will kill us all. Okay, Whatever. But nevertheless, it's there. All right? And that's what causes all those geysers and all that stuff to happen there. But it's a volcano, but it's underneath the surface. It's there. It is just as, as violent and as deadly as the one that's spewing stuff everywhere. The potential's there, right? And over time, pressure builds up until one day it will explode. And that's what happens, guys, when we clam up. We don't handle anger. We stuff it underground until it has to explode. So, so what are some of the typical ways that people express clamming up? What are some of the things they do? They shut up. Is that what said? Yeah. They refuse to say, they'll say a word. What's that? They get ulcers. They get ulcers. That's true. <laughs> they do get that. Yep. Yep. Yeah, they'll snap eventually, absolutely. Step away. Mm -hmm. Isolation. Isolation, yeah. You refuse to speak, give the cold shoulder, there's avoidance, removing an affection. Don't touch me. You ever said that to your spouse? Don't touch me. Huh? Leave me alone? Yeah. Yeah, just, just leave me alone. Maybe there's moodiness or there's that passive-aggressive stuff that... When we, think about, when we think about this one over here, this is, this is active-aggressive. And over on this side is passive-aggressive. But both of them are aggressive. There's irritation. There's frustration. There's this disgust. I mean, you just look at the other person and you just have it written all over your face in nonverbal communication. You disgust me. You glare. You huff. You snort. You puff. You blow. You do all that stuff. You cluck your tongue. I mean, whatever it is, right? So looking back at your past reactions to problems, when you sinfully express anger, do you tend to blow up or to clam up? Which one is it? I tend to blow up. Anybody else tend to blow up? Come on. Don't be afraid. All right. We got some blow uppers here. All right. How many of you tend to clam up? All right. We got more clamors here. All right. But you know, when I ask that question, do you tend to blow up or clam up? The answer is kind of, I think, Jim, you said, depends. It depends, doesn't it? Is that your husband? Okay. Oh, we're getting here. We're getting to that. Oh, see, Amara's preaching over here. Absolutely. Listen, with your spouse, you might just let them have it. I mean, you throw everything at them, even the kitchen sink. I mean, you, you, you use words with them that would shock a rapper. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like, what did you just say? 
but not with your balls. Mm -mm. With your balls, you bite your tongue, you stuff it down, and you stoke that fire internally, and you daydream about the day that you get to tell him what a jerk he is. And the day when you get to do that old Johnny paycheck, take his job and shut it and walk out, right? I mean, you just daydream of that. But whatever the case may be, whichever one it is that you normally do, okay, people tend to swing one way or the other, and eventually they tend to swing back the other way. So if the person who blows up, they usually blow up, and then they'll kind of shut down over here. And they'll withdraw and all those things. But the person that clams up, eventually what do they do? They're going to explode, and then they're going to swing back over there, okay? Whatever your past reactions have been, if you're going to restrain and refocus your anger, you've got to recognize how sinful anger typically displays itself. And you've got to call it out as sinful. When you see it, you have to name it. You have to label it. Not somebody else. I'm talking about you self-labeling, self-diagnosing, self-judging yourself. Fourth, here's what you need to do. You need to restrain your anger to avoid folly. That's what our proverb says, isn't it? Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Anybody ever, you ever show your, your hind end and somebody says, you acted like a fool? That, that's what this scripture is saying. When you show yourself, you act like a fool. So how do you do that? How do you restrain your anger? Let me just give you just a, a few things here to think about to restrain your anger. And you should restrain your anger. I mean, there may be some people who would give you the advice, no, just, you, just, you just let it out, man. Let them have it. It's healthy. Don't hold it in. Well, it's not healthy to hold it in. But it's also not wise to throw it all out. You need to restrain it. You need to restrain it. How do you do that? First, you need to pray for God's help. Pray for God's help. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive, listen to this, mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When that anger is welling up in you and you feel yourself being drawn away and carried away to either blow up or, or clam up, God here will give you the grace in that time of need to do what you really need to do. Of course, you know, well, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those, every one of those. I don't know any of those right there that aren't relevant to what we're talking about tonight. Every one of those fruit of the Spirit. But particularly the last one there, self-control. The second thing I, I want to encourage you to do is to think about restraining your anger is to be willing to overlook junk. Be willing to overlook stuff, guys. You are not that important. Ben is not that important. But so many of us carry around that, that chip on our shoulder that says, how dare you? Listen to Proverbs 19.11. You've heard me say this one before. I'm going to say it again because it's so good. Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory 
to overlook an offense. Do you know somebody who is easily angered and easily offended? Are you one of those people? Are you one of those people? These people think, here's the problem, they, they think too highly of themselves. They don't know that, but their pride and ego is through the roof. And they're often themselves hypercritical. God wants you and me to be different. It's, 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 it's glorious to be able to overlook something. Third, I think as you try to restrain your anger, I think it's important for you and me to remember our past sins. Remember our past sins. And I get it, right? Sometimes, you know, in the flash, there's that flash. But you've got to get, you know, it's like the horse that's trying to run away and you get the reins real quick and, and, and pull it back. And one of the ways you do that is that you remember your past sins. When you're reminded of the grace that you've been given, it helps you to restrain your anger. Because all of a sudden, you remind yourself, I'm a sinner just like that person's a sinner. God, you've shown me grace. Help me to show them grace. And it helps you to restrain your anger. Fourth, to restrain your anger, you need to look at your heart. Look at your heart. Sinful anger has its root in sinful desires in the heart. Listen to Mark 7, 21 through 23. 7, 21 through 23. It says, For from within... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the, purpose, uh, the person. So guys, it, I mean, it, it is not, you can't just say I was born that way. I love it. That's just who I am. That's just me. You're going to have to deal with me. No. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Finally, if you're going to restrain your anger, then you need to, place, to replace sinful anger with righteous anger. I'm not going to read the whole passage, okay? But Colossians 3, 5 through 17, or even there in Ephesians chapter 4, those are two places that, that really help you to understand that put-on, put-off motif that we often talk about, that you put off unrighteous anger, sinful anger, and you put on self-control, and all the other things that need to be replaced in that regard, okay? So those are the ways that you restrain your anger. Yes. Please do, yeah. During the time that I was unhinged, yep. um, it's been quite a while, but I, I knew God was pleased with it. And so I became accountable. And so I asked Pearl to uh, judge me mm-hmm. on a daily basis. proud to fail. Yeah. I, I'd already gotten to that point. And, but at six weeks, I was a, I was a different man. Yeah. And between her love and uh, willingness to forgive, yeah. you know, and, and God's word, uh, that became my past. That's great. So that's a, that's a perfect example of... First Corinthians, or, uh, yeah, First Corinthians six, right? Such were some of you, right? Now, there's change in God, you know. If if you find yourself struggling with sinful anger, there's hope for you. There's hope for you. So once you restrain it, then what do you do? Second, you refocus your anger. 
to destroy the problem. Refocus your anger to destroy the problem. So let's go back to that one the, a, few, a few slides ago. Yeah, there we go. So when you're blowing up, who are you focusing on? Who are you trying to destroy? The other person. But on the other side, when you internalize it, who are you destroying? Yourself. So let's go to that, that final diagram. I want you to see here that all of that, guys, needs to be taken, that anger that wells up in you, and where does it need to be directed? It needs to be directed to the what? The problem. The problem. Not the other person. That, when, if, you, if you focus it on the other person, and there's a reason why people get angry habitually, because they know it's going to get them what they want. They know they can bully and scare someone and manipulate them into submission. Same thing on the clam upside. A lot of times that passive-aggressive, you're going you're to withhold until they say, what have I done? And then you're going to say, I got you now. Get you back. You, know, you, you, you basically withhold until they give you what you want, right? But when you take the energy and restrain it, that anger, and you refocus it back on the problem, what are you working to destroy? The problem. And that's where it's at, guys. That's where it's at. Now, just one thing here, finally, to think about tonight. What about blowing up on some inanimate object instead of the person? Check out this video. room. The only one in western Canada, okay? If you ever need to go to western Canada. That's up around your territory, isn't it there, Pearl? Yeah, I'm afraid so. I'm afraid so. That's right. Now, you may have went to secular counselors before and they may have counseled you to vent on inanimate objects. In other words, take all your anger and beat the snot out of a pillow. Or to beat the, the stuffing out of a bag. Or to go to a rage room or something like that. Basically, the deal is there, is, is they say basically, one, you can, you know, you're basically just getting all that, that negative energy out. Just get it out. And get it out on something that's not going to hurt anything. Okay? But let me, let me just ask you a question. Is that wise counsel? I'm setting you up here, right? <laughs> it's not, okay? Let's think about it for a moment. Let's go back to our diagram, which is the last diagram. Now, notice this right here. Over here, you're destroying 
the person. Over here, you're destroying yourself. When you're smashing printers and vases and whatever else they were breaking there, what is your, what, 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 what are you aiming to destroy? Potentially, you could be fantasizing about the other person, right? You see, Jesus is not just concerned about your actions. He's concerned about your heart. And so oftentimes, right, you go out there to that punching bag and you dream that it's that, that person that made fun of you or hurt you and you just wear it out and you just picture their face. You might even draw a, a, some eyes and a mouth on it and you're boom, boom, boom and whatever else, okay? Or like there, you've got that, you've got that, um, you've got that, that vase there and you take that sledgehammer and you swing through it and you just picture that person just... That's sinful. Because God is concerned about your heart. To do something in your heart, to, 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 to beat up someone in your heart is sinful as well as doing it in person. Now, is it as sinful? No, but it's still fundamentally sinful. But let's say that you don't fantasize in the midst of that right there. You're just breaking stuff. You're not pretending it's somebody or anything like that. Is that still good counsel? I would argue no, because you're wasting that energy. I said earlier that in one sense, anger is a gift from God. Anger is in you, right? It wells up when there's something wrong so that that energy rises, and then you put that energy towards solving the problem. And the problem with the the break room or what it was called there, the, what was it called? Rage. The rage room. The problem with the rage room is that it's, it's wasting that energy. It wasn't meant to just go break junk. The energy was there from God to help you solve the problem. It's not productive that way. So our energy should be focused on solving the problem. Don't waste that energy on other stuff. Okay? Tonight, you may be here, and you, you sincerely have a problem with anger. Um, maybe it's big, maybe it's little, but you sincerely have a problem with anger. God wants to change your heart and your life, and He can. Maybe you're here, and anger is in your past, and you've seen the wreckage that it's caused and all that stuff. Again, God wants to take and restore those relationships. He wants to make you new and to reconcile that relationship. Take that energy and make it happen, okay? Here's my final prayer for us tonight. May we be in control of our anger and unleash its great energy to make things better. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. 
You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And He stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life death and resurrection and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us. And I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.